Father, please show us Christ, who he is and what he um, came to do. And we pray that it might enrich us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now, I've brought something very precious, uh, very, something very prized. Um, I'll show you. Toilet paper. Um, it's funny that this humble toilet roll has now become one of the most prized commodities uh, and it just screams at you, doesn't it, that we are not right as a society. Uh, there was a video captured of a group of women arguing in a supermarket, uh, supermarket aisle over toilet rolls. Staff had to intervene and the police were called in. Um, and because um, it's a very bad pun, obviously I wouldn't mention this, but uh, we are on very uh, paper-thin confidence uh, I'm going to sit, go sit down now. <clears throat> but we, we've, we've somehow gone um, from being okay to very not okay. Um, the thought of the virus spreading and the prospect of self-isolating has caused panic buying. Uh, there is even um, people panic buying because of panic buying. Maybe that's you. I read a story of someone heading back to their car, passing a woman loading toilet paper into their car boot and she sheepishly uh, looked and said, I have no idea what I am doing. Now, of course, you don't want to downplay this virus. It's important we do our part to ensure that we take it seriously. But isn't it funny that the humble, dunny role has shown us that we are a fragile people? And although we don't want to read too much into it, it seems like we're just not as free or in control of our destinies as we'd like. We're very much dependent on others and others' circumstances more than we'd like to admit. And at the ground level, we've seen people's ugly selfishness. But when we read today's passage, we actually have real answers for those who feel powerless in the face of this virus. In fact, if you feel powerless in regards to anything in regards to life, this passage has something to say for you. If you feel like you're stuck or trapped or living in fear, this passage has something to say to all of us. But I think for lots of us, if you are here and you're not a Christian, you might think Christianity is about limitations and restrictions. But if we truly understand what Jesus has come to do and say, we'll see that it's really not that restrictive. In some sense, it's freeing. And I think probably if you are self-reliant, you're self-confident, self-assured, then in all likelihood you're probably going to miss out on the riches of what Jesus has to offer you. And if it's not the virus, well then it's got to be something else, doesn't it? Like the bushfires or the drought. For lots of us, we know we're fragile, we know we're broken, we know that we don't have life all worked out. What encouragement is there for us in the Gospel of Luke? Well, as we come to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, we see right at the beginning of the Gospel, Luke is all about the God who reverses fortunes. This is what Mary uh, proclaimed and sung when she heard of the news of being being the mother of Jesus. Uh, He was the God who humbles the proud and lifts the humble. And so when we come to chapter 4, it's no surprise that this theme, again, of reversing fortunes seems to be at the very core of who Jesus is. But 
My first point may seem a little redundant, especially if you've read chapters three, uh, chapter 3 and earlier. Because uh, my first point is this, that Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit, chosen by God. And if you're a bit, if you're a bit cluey, you'll notice in chapter 3, Jesus is baptised by his cousin John. And as the Father is saying, this is my Son whom I love, the Holy Spirit descends upon him as a dove. Like, uh, and we see the Holy Spirit now empowering Jesus as he goes into the wilderness, is tempted and then he comes full of the Holy Spirit. So even before we've reached our passage, Luke has made it clear that this Jesus is anointed by the Holy Spirit. But I think it's because he wants you to be clear that this is God's man. Have a look at verse 14 as we look at our passage. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. Um, here we see Jesus embarking on his public ministry and of course... He is embarking with the power of the Spirit. Luke wants to be clear, this is God's man. He has God's authority. He has God's backing. But it's not just God's backing or authority. He has God's confidence for a particular purpose, which is what we'll explore in points two and three. But let's just work out what's going on here because Jesus is doing what he would do on a normal Sabbath day, a normal day of rest. He goes to the synagogue And it was his custom to do this. Uh, The synagogue was sort of the worship hub outside of Jerusalem. It was the religious, social and educational nucleus of the Jewish community. And I don't know if it happened to be just this time, but on this Sabbath day, Jesus stands up to read the scriptures. He's handed a scroll and he unravels the scroll and it happens to be the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And he starts to find, or he looks through Isaiah and he finds the place he wants the people to listen to. And he starts to read, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, at this point, nobody would have blinked an eyelid. Um, You know, Gary didn't say, Look, I fulfilled the hair. Because he doesn't have, you know, you, you wouldn't, they're not thinking Jesus is the one who's going to say, yes, I fulfilled this. They just think Jesus is just reading it out. No one would have blinked an eyelid. But because when Jesus is reading out Isaiah chapter 61, they're hearing about the promised servant of the Lord who was to come. This servant of the Lord who was connected to the suffering servant passages in Isaiah was to be given a special anointing of the Spirit to achieve God's purposes. But they are not expecting what happens in verse 21. Here's the punchline. Jesus began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus understood that he was the one who had come with the Spirit of the Lord upon him. He was the one who the Holy Spirit confirmed at his baptism. He descended and, he told, and we're told that he's full of the Spirit and power. So Luke wants to make clear that this is the man of God who has come to achieve what the Isaiah prophecies were about. And so we live in an uncertain time, don't we? But if there's any certainty, then it's got to be in the one that God has chosen. If there's any reliability as to what God is doing, then surely we need to look at Jesus. We must turn to God's Son, who is full of the Holy Spirit. And here we see Jesus quotes the Old Testament. 
And the Old Testament drives his character, his identity, it shapes who he is. These are the Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures. Jesus was not born as a, a novelty or a trick. He was born with a purpose to enter into humanity, to fulfill the backstory of the Old Testament. And so in the Gospel, we not only see Jesus uh, bringing salvation, but he fulfills the hopes of Israel. He is the man in the line of King David. So, if God was happy to be confident in this man, don't you think we should also trust him completely? But maybe you're not sure. Well, let's look at what he came to do. And he came to announce and to achieve. That's the next two points. The next one is to, he came to announce. The third point is that he came to achieve. So what does he announce? Point two, Jesus announces a new age of God's favour. Jesus has come with good news, as we saw in verse 18. But we see again in verse 19. Have a look at the way he finishes what he has to say. Verse 19. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now, it's not a literal year, but a new age. He's come to bring in a new time. And Jesus has this message about God's mercy and grace, which is what it means by the Lord's favour. And it has overtones of freedom. But who is this message for? Now, you'll see from verse 18 that it's to proclaim good news to the poor. So, who are the poor? Well, um, lots of uh, people have read this and, and thought instantly this is to do with those who don't have material possessions, who are sort of below the poverty line. And yes, that is right. It is for the materially poor, but... That's only a subset of this category of the poor. You see, you need to read it in context. Isaiah 61 gives us the context that we desire. And in Isaiah 61 and in Isaiah, particularly in the back half of Isaiah, Israel's poor weren't just those who were materially poor. The poor were God's people who had been punished for their disobedience. They rejected God and they were sent away into exile from their homeland, taken captive. That's, these are the ones who are poor. Now, yes, a lot of those would have been materially poor, but on the whole, these are the ones who have been punished because of their disobedience. But the good news was that this servant of the Lord would announce a new age, not of uh, punishment, but of mercy and forgiveness and grace. This anointed one would proclaim freedom from foreign powers, release from all enemies, and salvation that accompanied repentance. And so, press fast forward on your remote, and we come to Jesus' time. And here we are, finally, the servant of the Lord has arrived. But, in some ways, the time is different, but in other ways, the time is very much the same. Instead of Babylonians, you've got the Jewish people now under the Romans. Uh, You've got the non-Jewish Herods who are ruling with violence and instability. Roman taxes and poor harvests, keeping the common people in poverty and life is bleak. The weak are being exploited. And when you read Luke's Gospel, you'll notice that they define sinners differently to you and I. We all think of sinners as uh, people who have rebelled against God, but for the religious leaders, they saw sinners as the tax collectors and the prostitutes, those who were definitely under God's judgment. And so, again, 
the religious are oppressing the, the outcast. And so here we see the time is very much the same. Under Roman rule, the Jews are even oppressing their own. And this comes as such good news. If you're under pressure or affliction and you hear these words of an age of release and freedom, of salvation for sinners, but the stability of God's grace and mercy, then it really fills your heart. But it's also interesting that Jesus does not finish the reading. He stops the reading short in Isaiah. He doesn't carry on past to proclaim the, the, Lord's, the year of the Lord's favour. In fact, if you read Isaiah 61 verse 2, you would find out that it would continue to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. But he doesn't. He doesn't say that because that is not the age in which he's bringing. Now, he's... Liam, are you saying that Jesus is denying the day of God's judgment? Well, no, because that's what he came to do. He faced the wrath to bring us grace. And so, this is good news for Israel's poor, prisoners, blind and oppressed. And for those who are spiritually poor, spiritually blind and oppressed. But it wasn't just an announcement. Jesus was here to achieve the freedom and mercy that he's announcing. So point three, Jesus' mission, his manifesto, is about achieving the freedom and mercy he proclaims. Jesus isn't just about talk, um, which is good news. He's more than that. Uh, Take a look at how Luke describes what happens when Jesus finishes the reading. Verse 20. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Now, of course, today the eyes of everyone are fastened on Joy as she got baptised. But we're not expecting great things. Well, we will. Sorry, Paul, we will, of course. No pressure, of course, on your parenting. But um, they're expecting something from Jesus. All their eyes are on him. And then he makes that outlandish claim. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And we should have our jaws drop But it's great. Jesus saw himself not only identifying with the prophesied servant, he understood that this was his manifesto of life. It was his mission. It was what he was made to do. Jesus will do in his life what he proclaimed. It is not new. It is not innovative. It's a full expression of the Old Testament scriptures. Until that day, Isaiah 61 was just potential, it was promise, it was hope. But in Jesus speaking, it was a reality. And of course, that's what drove Jesus to die on the cross. That's what motivated him to set his sights on the cross. His death to free us from slavery to sin. His death to clear the debt accrued because of our sin. His resurrection so that we might no longer be powerless in the face of death or disease or sickness. His resurrection, so that we might no longer live out the sinful desires of the body, corrupted by sin. Mes McConnell is a church planner, uh, and he grew up um, in a disadvantaged environment. Um, He's a church planner who's focused on um, poor and needy and hard places. He was abandoned by his mother when he was two. His father was seldom present in his life. By the age of 12, he was convicted of assault. He landed in prison. And one day, some Christians came to see him 
Now, to cut a story short, um, McConnell, um, of course, was, uh, was, un, you know, was witnessed to, but he was converted to Christ by reading the Bible. And as he read the Bible, all the lies he'd been taught uh, all his life collapsed in his mind. So many social workers and counsellors, drug counsellors, told him he was a product of his environment. But he realised he was a terrible sinner with a terrible future before him. And then there was something wrong in him, not just outside of him. When we look at the cross, we see the problem is with us. We see our poverty, our disobedience to God. When we look to the cross, we see the result of sin we've been enslaved to. When we look to the cross, we see the grace of God for those who were once blinded to it. And when we look to the cross, we see that Christ has purchased us for himself. We're not liberated by ourselves. We are liberated by Christ. Now, to be free in him. We cannot work towards our freedom, but but only we can receive the liberation he has accomplished. And part of the freedom as the church, is to extend Christ's mission to others. And as a church, we're encouraged to take up the preaching of the gospel in this evangelistic task. But we must understand that the good news is good news to those who know they are poor. It's good news to to those who know who they are oppressed or blind or prisoners. So it's no surprising that if, if you have a good social standing, if you're a decent person, you're able to look after yourself reasonably well, you may find it hard to see the goodness of the good news. But you're not invincible. Ms. McConnell says the wealthy and the comfortable feel invincible. They feel they don't need God. And, and he writes, so people become very hard, very bitter, very intellectually opposed to gospel truths. Whereas in less privileged communities, people are not necessarily happy but they are more likely to admit they're sinful, to admit that their lives aren't perfect, to admit that there's a problem. And Mez says that you meet very few atheists amongst those in poor or um, ethnically deprived communities. And their problem isn't with God per se, it's actually with the concept of the church. They see you and I as middle class, intellectual institution and you can't blame them can you but we're not to pity in that we're to work out well what does the gospel help us to work against seeing us as a middle class intellectual institution when the gospel is good news for the broken well i feel like we we start to bring in moral creep. You know, we start to bring in standards. You know, you've got to be a Christian. If you're a Christian, you've got to have this sorted. You've got to have this area covered. And we bring in the standards and it keeps creeping and the gospel of grace becomes being a decent person who's got things all together. But this reminds us, doesn't it? That we need to admit that we're not good. We're not competent. We're not in control as we'd like to be. And that the only one good, competent, in control is Christ. And he became oppressed and afflicted for our sake. So we we, we look to Christ 
And we, we see ourselves truly in who we are. But of course, when we come to Christ, yes, things do come together. Uh, we, we, now hold it, now hold it, we now hold it. We now know how to love because of Christ. We now know how to listen to people, how to work hard. And yes, for, for lots of us, we have our lives, um, things are good. We're well to do. We have rich relationships with people. But I think what God is warning you today is do not forget the good news of Jesus is for those whose lives are messy. And he's encouraging you today to be willing to share the love of Christ with those whose lives are broken and those whose lives are messy, even if it's an inconvenience to you. Even when you don't know how you can help them with their personal sin and the systematic challenges that face them because of just their upbringing or their environment. But we mustn't forget that we too are messed up as well. But maybe you're here and you think you are undeserving of God's forgiveness, his freedom Maybe you stand here at a loss, you are powerless, you are hopeless, you are filled with shame and you know what it means to have loss. Well, I would love for you to see Christ. Don't look at yourself. Look to Christ. Look to the one who, who, who did not withhold his own life for you but gave himself up freely for your salvation. Jesus offered you the promise of, of sharing in his spirit. The power of the Spirit can change us, break long-standing patterns of self-destructive behaviour. But of course, Jesus calls you too to repent of self-pity, repent of the futile way of life and to hope. Well, let's finish. Jesus calls us to hope for a world, doesn't he? A hope for a world that will be made new where sickness and poverty and fear will be put away. When you look at the craziness of the absence of toilet paper, the presence of coronavirus, remember this, uh, only in Jesus Christ is there good news of hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, it is appropriate for all because all of us are broken All of us have fallen short. But Father, forgive us for the times that we think that we are better, where we think we are decent. We thank you for the way in which your spirit has helped us. But may we continue to seek to bring the gospel to this messy and broken world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.